was a short meditation, but how was it? Yes. Restful. What's that? Restful. Restful. You feel restful. Yes. Anyone else have any comments? I found it uplifting. Uplifting? Mm-hmm. I noticed when I uh, was really focused on trying to stay with the breath, and it kind of, every once in a while, I'd be like, yes. <laughs> you know, and then there would be an immediate you know, yeah. uplifting and some energy yeah. in my mind. And, and same with when, uh, when I would notice that my mind had wandered. And then all of a sudden there'd be, yes, I'm back. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, and there too, there would be that, yeah. that sense of energy. Good. That's, that is wonderful. That, that makes the meditation process into a rewarding, satisfying experience, doesn't it? And uplifting. And the better, the, as your skill develops and the better you get at it, then the stronger is that uplifting feeling of, of, of joy. Yeah, that's what it is. And it comes with a feeling of peacefulness. The body, the body becomes peaceful. Yeah. <coughs> How about your mind? What, were, what was your mind doing? Because you have a lot of little thoughts sort of coming and going here and there. It, it seemed like there was, you know, those little threads of thoughts that were um, mostly in the background, and then mm-hmm. every once in a while, you know, much kind of larger, weightier one would come along. And right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's exactly the way it happens. You have all these sort of little thoughts that come and go, and, and every now and then there's a bigger one. Or sometimes one that comes in and just catches you by surprise, and it's got you before you know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I realized again how different meditation is than at home. Yeah. Like I didn't want it to stop. I went so much into that present experience, and at home, it's like there's always so when it's over, mm-hmm. often coming in. So it's yeah. very different. The right. energy of the group and your respect. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. By the way, is there, was there anybody else that really didn't want to stop when we did? <laughs> that's that's good. That's it's it's pleasant. It's enjoyable. Why not? Why not keep it going? That's the way every meditation should end. So what you do is you you don't stop that. You just stay with that as you open your eyes and get back into things. What about the smile? Was, uh, did adding a smile have an effect? Yes. Yeah, I definitely felt an effect. Almost immediately. There was just, just this like kind of radiating that felt like it came from my heart. What was also interesting was having that mindfulness and the smile. Immediately, I started tripping myself up. Was like, well, this feels like a fake smile, or like, what is, where is the smile? But I noticed that I was able to kind of release that and let it kind of come from here rather than here. And I kind of found that rather than the corner of my lips where I thought it was coming from, it was actually kind of coming from up here, yeah. or coming from here and then coming here and then to my lips. And so just having that mindfulness was just in, in like a curious experience of like the, the muscles of the smile, but the emotional impact was definitely visceral. Anybody notice that 
when I said that and he started to smile, it was almost like the smile had been waiting there anyway. <laughs> you, you were just giving it permission to happen. So the, the smile made you more aware of how jumpy it was? Or? No, I started smiling before you even mentioned it, because I noticed how jumpy it was. Uh-huh. So. Anyways. <laughs> yeah. so. Yes? Could you say more what you mean by, when you talk about, like, finding, like, the pleasure or the happiness in my body makes a lot of sense to me, but finding it in my mind, I wasn't really clear. Like, it seemed at the end, I mean, my mind felt very peaceful and still, mm -hmm. and there was like a pleasantness to that, and I don't know if that's what you mean by that. Yeah. Well, this is something that I think is very important, because as your mind starts to calm down, there is a feeling of peacefulness and contentment that comes. And we can ignore that. We can. It, it's very easy to overlook that, especially if you're sort of goal-oriented, uh, task-oriented. Uh, if there's any, to whatever degree your your mind is judging your performance, it kind of disregards the contentedness and peacefulness as being that's irrelevant, you know. And so I think it's very useful to to look for that, to open yourself up to it, to become aware of it. And when you become aware of it, allow it to remain a part of your awareness. You know, you don't need to focus on it, you just let it be there. Now, if we think of your mind as many different processes, what, what reason for, for would these different mental processes ever have for getting on task with this meditation project? The future thinking. What? The future thinking again, right? To think of the future again. To think of the future. To think of the future. To project into the future what's happening right now, how to use it. Well. <laughs> right? Well, that's, that's one of the things that you could... What I was actually looking for is, uh, in terms of an answer, is that if it's creating pleasantness of some kind, this would be the reason. Because really, all these different parts of your mind, what they really want to do is to bring you as the collective of all of these things to a greater state of fulfillment, happiness, and so forth. And so, if you allow yourself to be aware of the pleasant qualities that come from meditation, then this provides the incentive for the other part of your mind that thinks you should be worrying about this or thinking about that or planning this. Because you might be planning something and the part of your mind that wants to plan something, it says, hey, this is going to make us real happy someday once we get this thing happen. So let's plan this. <laughs> but um, how are you going to get the message to that other part of your mind? Hey, there's there's happiness to be had now. We don't need to project ourselves into the future. And it, it, it's by bringing conscious awareness 
to that happiness. This is this this is your mind. This is the little part that's conscious, right? So, what's illuminated by consciousness can be known by all of these other parts, but all of these other parts are not necessarily available to consciousness. So we let consciousness, if we if we bring into the illuminated portion of the mind the positive qualities of the experience, then that message goes out to all the invisible parts of the mind and it will influence the, the way that they function. So it moves us in the direction of unification. As you're meditating, as, as we mentioned, there's a lot of little thoughts coming and going, right? Where are they coming from? Do they come from do they come from anything that's going on in that little illuminated area that you're consciously aware of? No, so they've got to be coming from the other parts. Right? And uh, they're sort of like, you know, there's this part of your mind over here that says, hey, conscious awareness isn't doing anything right now. Let's go and put my idea in it. Let's go put my thought in it. Right? Isn't that kind of what happens? Yeah, I, I, I was with my breath, and I'm, I'm looking for, you know, it's like, I keep on getting distracted by these thoughts, and I thought, okay, I will stay with the breath, and I'll split off, and I'll go over there, and I'll go see what those thoughts are doing, but I'm just going to look out of the corner of my eye, mm -hmm. right, just, just, just a little bit, and, and there's like this, murmuring, yeah. you know, and then and they're like doing this little thing, it's like the, the mumbling of a crowd. And and then every so often a little like a, a almost like a bubble would come up and it was like blah there's a thought, you know, it's and it, I was like, wow, you know, that this is what was going on for me during this meditation, it was like this thing. And I was watching these bubbles come up and I thought, well, maybe Maybe they just need to have a calming, something to calm them down. So I started like, I just had this thought of like putting warm oil <laughs> over it, and I and 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 they settled down, and it was really peaceful <laughs> to quiet that down and just you know just soothe. Like somebody was massaging the skin only, I was just going to massage that, and I just just like out of the corner of my eye, like like rubbing the back of a baby just did a little of that and then was able to get back to the breath and that was a, that was much more peaceful. So you found that you could be in a more peaceful place and a more stable place with the breath if you took a little time to just sort of calm down and quiet down these things. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, uh, that's an interesting way to, to approach it. Um, what I usually do is it's not, not that different, but, but I would describe it a little differently. I can't acknowledge them. Okay. Ah, oh, yeah. I, I know you're there. Okay. That's fine. And give it permission to be there. Okay. You can be there. That's fine. But, you know, this, let's go back to, to doing the breath. And, and it all just kind of becomes nice and, and easy now. If I try to drive those things away, well, yeah, it messes it all up. <laughs> There's no peace in that. Yeah, we're back to that place of inner conflict. Because after all, 
the part of your mind that thinks meditation is a good idea. It's just one small part of your mind. And it really has no natural priority over any of these other parts, right? There's, there's a lot of equality going on in these mental processes. And so you have to recognize that. So you give those others the right to be there, and, and you see if you can can uh, stay with the current activity while allowing them to be there. Yeah. Yes? I'm amazed at how, how long a thought can go on. <laughs> what I've been working on lately is a, a better recognition mm-hmm. that's happening, because it just every once in a while, I mean, I can find myself, not a thought of just a few sentences, I mean, this is a thought that goes on and on, and it's like, wow. Mm-hmm. So do you have any suggestions for how to lovingly catch the thought quickly? <laughs> well, uh, now... Let's just be clear what we're talking about. Is this a thought that you've become caught in the content of? Yes, and you're okay. developing the content, and you're quite a ways down the road. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. Okay. okay, well, you see, you're caught and you've lost awareness. You don't know that you're caught. That that's really the most important thing about it. And but at some point, that awareness comes. I mean, you literally wake up to the fact that you've been caught by this thought, and you've been caught by this thought for a long time. So now that that waking up to the fact, you didn't make it happen. It's really wonderful that it happened. And it's better that it happened now instead of five more minutes from now, right? Which it could happen. Yep. Right? And you didn't make it happen, but it would be nice if it happened sooner next time. That's basically what you're saying. Exactly. It would be nice if it happened sooner. So, here's the strategy. Okay, this is some, once again, this is some other part of your mind that's was out outside of the limelight, and it was doing its job, which was noticing that, hey, you know, this is what's on the agenda, but this is what's happening, and they're not the same. And it brought that to conscious awareness, and ah, we woke up. Okay, you can't make that happen because there's no, you're, there's really no you in there to make it happen. But what, what can happen then is you can celebrate what it just did. You, you know, some part of your mind woke you up to what was really going on. So pat it on the back. Cheer for it. Oh, isn't this wonderful? Look at how, oh, wow, I'm so much more awake and aware now. Boy, this feels good. I like this. That's what's going to make it happen sooner. So that's the development of a part of you positively reinforce those things that happen spontaneously that you would like to happen more often sooner. And eventually when that part of your mind feels welcome enough, it will start being there all the time. <laughs> It'll start hanging out in, in the illuminated portion 
And so how do you feel right now? Are you happy? Anybody not happy? It's okay. Is everybody perfectly happy? <laughs> some discontent somewhere, right? Do you necessarily know what that discontent is about? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But well, the most common one is... What's that? The most common one, I think, is I could have done better. Yes, yes, it really is. You know, we, 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 it's that old judgment and expectation thing. We, we lay it on ourselves more than anybody else, but then we turn around and lay it on everybody else, too. Everything else now. Yeah. And, of course, judgment and expectation gets in the way of happiness. And so, what does that tell you about having judgment and expectation about how happy you should be? <laughs> probably not, probably not going to work. but it's there and so the best thing that you can do is recognize it and acknowledge it when it's there okay there I am uh, judging myself there I am raising my expectations there's a good side to that in your meditation or in anything else you do if you keep in mind that if you continue to challenge yourself, but you keep you keep your expectations in line with your abilities, this is going to be very conducive to the state of joy and to happiness. So it's not that expectations are inherently bad. It's that expectations that are disproportionate to what you're capable of in the moment are going to have the consequence of leaving you feeling dissatisfied, which is precisely the opposite of what you want. And But having no expectations at all depending on how you interpret that, uh, I mean, you, there's a way that you could look at no expectations at all that would be positive, but to the degree that we are active agents of some kind, that we're experiencing ourselves as being a doer, without some expectation, without some goal, there's no doing at all. So that's always going to be there. So the point is to recognize that and to, to, to try to maintain that balance, that you have reasonable expectations. And that you have enough expectation that there is a sense of reward or accomplishment of satisfaction that comes from meeting them. Yeah? This is very helpful to me. Thank you. The idea that, I mean, this is a very concrete way of expressing that the path is the reality. Mm-hmm. That what, we're do, what you're doing here, it seems, is building in joy along the way. Reminds me, I recently read... Um, something that zinged me in a similar way, uh, I forget where, but somebody wrote, we do not listen to music to get to the end of it. That's right. I don't think love to get to sleep. 
don't get it, don't, don't mess with my fun. <laughs> That's just a, an idea of how complicated we are. Now, if we were simple, if your mind was one thing and it operated on a simple set of rules, then this couldn't possibly happen, right? If something makes you unhappy, you couldn't enjoy being unhappy. It's only because your mind is more complex than that, that it's not one thing, that you can end up with these really odd situations going on. But I'm pretty sure you've never been as happy beating yourself up or wallowing in how bad things were or thinking about how terrible things are going to be. You've never been as happy in those times as you have been when you've been in the state that we call joy, which is dwelling on the positive and where the happiness is the feeling that comes from this place of appreciation, love, enjoyment, seeing the goodness of things. But we do have to recognize that these other parts, these, these other, other, other things are there. Um, how can we make sense of this? How can we? Okay. Do we, do we have any really driven, goal-directed people here? <laughs> okay. Uh, now, if you're really that kind of person, you set standards for yourself and you expect to meet them. Right? <laughs> and you have two kinds of happiness. When you meet your standards, you're pleased with yourself. Although, maybe you sometimes wonder if you really set the standard too low. <laughs> too, too easy to me. <laughs> and then, if you don't meet the standard, you, you chastise yourself, you beat yourself up, and do you get some satisfaction out of that too? Yeah. So the part of you that's getting satisfaction is really not the same part of you that's getting beat up for not trying hard enough. Okay? Because the part of you that's getting beat up is really dissatisfied with being beat up. <laughs> but the, the, this other part of you, it's that's its job. That's its reward. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm doing a really good job of it. Right? And that can get out of control, can it? Gets out of control quite often. And then we get to a place where you're really joyless. You're no longer enjoying being unhappy. You're just unhappy. 
So the problem is that some parts of our mind have an idea of how how things should be, how they should behave, of what their job is in the overall scheme of your mind, that is that doesn't really work that well, or works sometimes pretty well, but other times doesn't work so well. And that's a fact, right? And sometimes that's an emotional, that's a, that's a more feeling part of yourself. It's a more emotional part of yourself. And no matter how rational your thoughts about it, you know, I can talk to you, uh, you could go see a counselor, uh, a good friend, whatever, you could think through things and see totally how wrong this is. You know what I'm talking about? You, you can see that this isn't right. And in the moment of seeing it, it may be that you're able to let it go. But it comes back again. It doesn't stay gone. So you've driven off this part of your mind that had taken control. You overwhelmed it with reason and logic and common sense and everything else like that. But that's really what you've done. You've overwhelmed it. You haven't gotten inside of that part of your mind. And you haven't done anything to rearrange the way it operates. It hasn't been reprogrammed. You know, its goal is still whatever it is, to beat you up when these kinds of things happen. And so you overwhelm it with common sense, and it goes off and it hides in the shadows again, but it's going to come back. It's not going to stay away. And, and this, is, this, is, this is a problem. This is why so many of the things that, that we can't do, they work really well, but they don't always, they, the effects don't last that well. Is that a problem with, or, or not? With I know some of you people do counseling. You deal with uh, with clients where you try to help them to understand their problems, and they say, "Oh yeah, I see." And, but then it keeps coming back. Yes. I think one of the problems in counseling, I'm a therapist, is that you do get to emotional insight but then there's not a method of training where you keep applying the new awareness. Mm -hmm. There's not enough of a method of training, which is for meditation. Right. That's, and that's where, that's why meditation is so valuable. Uh, I saw something just this morning that they found that uh, Mindfulness meditation can reduce, uh, in one study, reduce uh, the depression. This is on a, a person's self-rated scale of depression by 30%. That's pretty impressive. But if we look at these things, logic is really limited because it's all about thoughts and concepts and ideas. And all the wrong notions that you've acquired over your life, what are they? They are concepts, thoughts, ideas. 
So they're exactly the same kind of thing. So what happens when you get two people and one person believes things are this way and the other person believes things are that way? And they start to talk, each one trying to convince the other. What happens most of the time? What's the typical outcome? What's that? They have a big argument. Each one comes up with all the reasons why your view is wrong, my view is right. But at the end of the process, has it been resolved and both agree that, yes, this is the right view? And why does that happen? Why, why, why is it that way? Why is it that argument based on the best reasons that two people can come up with, don't have that result. Well, first of all, let's examine the premise. Is this true? Is what I'm saying true? Yeah. And no matter how, no matter how skilled, no matter how intelligent, no matter how much information, that the people engaged in a debate have. When the debate's over, usually one side hasn't been convinced of the point of view of the other. It remains unresolved. Well, we don't need to delve into exactly why that's true. Let's just recognize that, wow, this is something that we see all the time. Now, if we look at our own minds, if there's some part of your mind that holds a particular set of beliefs and functions in a particular way and reacts to situations in a particular way on the basis of that, and there's some other part of your mind that does the same thing but with a different set of beliefs and a different set of reactions, are you going to be able to think these two parts of your mind into agreement with each other? No. 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 And that, uh, that is a limitation to it. So that's always going to be... I mean, you can do, you can do a lot of really good things by, by thinking, but there is a limitation to what you're ever going to do. And it's very similar to the limitation people can accomplish an awful lot in their interactions through discussion and exchanging information. But there's a very real limit, you know, and very often we don't ever manage to go beyond that limit. But people do change, people do change their views. Do they not? Why do they change their views? If it's not because somebody else has pointed out to them how dumb their point of view is, what is the reason that they change their view? Isn't it more emotional than intellectual? Well, it seems to happen at an emotional level, yes. Uh, emotions are what cause them to be attached to the views they have, and when they change their views, it's because that attachment to the one set of views has been weakened by something. And 
they start to react emotionally in a different way to the other sets of views that were previously unacceptable to them. But what, when, when you've had your point of view change, what's, what's been the cause of it? Usually experience. Experience. And also insights that it didn't work anymore. Insight. You know, like insight that it doesn't work anymore. Yes. And all of a sudden it doesn't work anymore. Right. So you yeah. realize that. Yeah. yeah. Some kind of experience that makes it really, really evident that this idea that I've held on to isn't working. You know? When you do the same thing over and over again, and it keeps producing a different result than you expect. You can make up a lot of excuses for why it didn't work this time, but something remarkable happens when we run out of excuses or, or we, we throw out whatever the, the assumption was that was the basis for all of our excuses, well, all of a sudden we see it differently. And we make this, we, this re rearrangement happens in our perception of things. And what was, what was inconceivable before becomes uh, obvious. It becomes natural. This is the kind of change that, that we want to take place in our minds. But it's not so much rational analysis, it's that direct experience. It's that, wait a minute. Right. Yes. You talked a lot about when you don't feel it yet, play acting, and then it becomes it. When you talked uh, in earlier um, sessions often about when you don't have it yet, play, play it, act it, and then it might happen. It reminds me of Gestalt therapy. I did this for a while. This whole thing of changing your point of view and look from the other side and all of a sudden, and then feel how it feels in the body. Mm -hmm. And you get all this feedback immediately. And that is an experience which is not just in the mind mm -hmm. and in yeah. the intellectual part of the right. mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I'd like to suggest that you do with this, one wonderful tool we have to work with, if, if you experience unhappiness, suffering, dissatisfaction, then look for where that's coming from. Because that, that, that is your red light. That means you're rejecting what is. You're in conflict with reality. And, you know, you can keep being in conflict with reality and keep justifying it and rationalizing it. But if you look at that, you take the fact that you're experiencing dissatisfaction and suffering as, as the, the warning signal, ah, something to look at here. And then you look and see, what am I rejecting? What am I fighting with? What am I in conflict with? And question it. Does it make sense? Where is that coming from? 
now you're in the place of direct experience. And if you let go of that, what happens? Now, the, the Buddha's recommendation in his very first teaching is, he said that uh, craving is the cause of dukkha. So whenever you feel dissatisfaction, exactly what I'm saying right here, he said, let go of it and see what happens. Let go of whatever this craving is, whatever the desire, whatever the aversion, whatever it is that, that you're wanting things to be different, let go of it and see what happens. And now, it's not that, it's not that you're being expected to do something that is superhuman. Just let go of it long enough to see what happens when you let go of it. Might be just for a few seconds. But if you can recognize what you're clinging to and let go of it, and you experience that the suffering, the dissatisfaction evaporates in that moment, then when you go back to clinging, it's there again. This is the kind of experience that changes the way it changes the way the parts of your mind work in the same way that direct experience changes opinions and the views of, of different people. You bring yourself to that point of direct experience. Whenever you find yourself in conflict with reality, and you'll know you're in conflict with reality because you're not able to be happy, then See what it is you're holding on to that's producing that. And then see if you can let go of it just long enough that you can become consciously aware of the change in affect, the change in feeling that happens when you let go of that view. It's very important that you be consciously aware of this. Because remember, most of your mind is in the dark. But whatever's in the little circle of illumination that you're consciously aware of, this, this is the only time all these other parts that are in the dark get to exchange information with each other, is when you let some part of it come into the light. So when you can become consciously aware of the effect of letting go of what you're clinging to that was making you happy, making you unhappy, then that's going to get the message to the part of your mind that keeps clinging to this. And the more often you do that, the more clear that message is going to be until you get to the point where that part of your mind no longer clings to that particular idea. Sound good in theory. I want to know, did any of you experience this yourself? <laughs> did you experience this? I did, but then in the moment, I know it, and still, mm -hmm. I'm acting like I did before. Yes, yes. Till it's so, till it's so bad that I really have to change. But mm -hmm. in the moment, I'm aware of it. Mm -hmm. I still do it. Right. Is there anyone here that's had the experience of doing that with the same thing? enough that you see it goes away? Yes? Or it's more like I become so aware of the pattern 
kind of like with a thought of meditation, I can catch really, really early. Yeah. And then it's just like gone within like right. three seconds, you know, and it doesn't come back for that for that round. <laughs> Have you had that happen with anything where it just goes away? It just stopped coming back. I know. Maybe I haven't noticed the things that have stopped coming back. Well, <laughs> you're absolutely right. It is. It stops coming back, and, and unless unless something causes you to remember how you used to be, yeah. you don't become aware. You know, it's really tricky because so many of these things are such basic paradigms that that were created really when we were children, often mm-hmm. of, of things that we feel we should do and ways we should be mm-hmm. struggling, uh, we want this and we're trying to block that, and it, it just comes up over and over and yes. over again, and it may wear a different mask or a different That's costume, right. and there it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and it's amazing that we can have within us so many different views of how things are. Simultaneously residing side by side. It seems like often the same one in a different costume over yeah. and over. Like, oh my goodness, there it is again. I just don't believe it. Yeah. Well, if I only hadn't worn yeah. that mask, I would. Yeah. Well, no, I, I was agreeing with you. Yes, yes, that same thing can show up in many different right. forms. But that thing is there with this wrong idea, but there's some other part of you that knows just the opposite, right? Yes. And yet, they're side by side, existing in the same line. And in some circumstances, this one, with the more functional program, comes up and takes over. But then there's these other situations where this other one, and somehow they both are part of you at the same time. How can that be? Oh, isn't that amazing? <laughs> okay. I know how it be at this point. <laughs> well, well, how can I stop? You, you have to. We, we cultivate mindfulness because you can't, you can't stop the way your mind works as long as it keeps going on automatic pilot. And as long as you're just, you know, you're, as long as you're just the passenger on the roller coaster, you go down and then you go up and then you go down, you know. You've got to, you've got to be in a position, of the position of mindful awareness, to, um, to influence what's going to happen in the future. And that's the biggest challenge. That is the that is the hardest part of all, and once you have that mindfulness, it becomes much much easier. And some of you I know are really aware of that, and you say to me, you know, sometimes I can be mindful, but so much of the time I can't. If I could only be mindful those other times, but you're at that place where you know when you are mindful, how well it works, how how, but. There's all those other times that I just lose it. Well, that's exactly the same thing that we were talking about. You sit down and you meditate. And, okay, you, and then something comes along and it takes you away. And there's a period of time where you're gone. 
Uh, and what we learn in meditation is if, if when we realize that we've been carried away by a thought, we get mad at ourselves, it doesn't help. And the same thing. When you realize that, oh, this whole thing happened, uh, my, my friend came in and said such and such, and I was in a bad mood, and I just was totally mindless, and I said these things, isn't this terrible? If you beat yourself up for it, is it going to help? No. No, it's not. So you've got to accept where you are. Okay. I'm I'm the person that reacts in this way and I'm the person that reacted in this way. But now let me let me see if I can bring some mindfulness to the situation. What really happened? What did I really feel? And what did I what were what was driving me? And and what is it is it valid? Is it true? Is it real? And no need for judgment, just observation. Usually it isn't valid anymore. What's that? Usually it's not valid anymore. Yeah, usually it's not. It's really old stuff. That's old stuff. That's right. And you just bring mindfulness, even after the fact, reflecting on it, you can bring mindfulness to it. It's not that it's too late. You can always bring mindfulness to it. But you're not being mindful. If you rehash the situation and you beat yourself up for everything that you did wrong, that's not, that wouldn't be mindful in the present and it's not mindful retrospectively. It's mindful is looking at it with as much clarity as you can, trying to see it the way it really is and just, and just accept that, just see and accept and be with it. We're going to take a break for lunch pretty soon. I'm going to bring this back too. Because I want you, over the break period that we take, I want you to practice the whole time. I want you to practice emulating the state of mind that we call joy. So, this will require that you try to be as continuously mindful as you can. And if your mindfulness lapses, don't get mad at yourself. <laughs> but when you realize that, go back to being mindful. What I want you to be mindful of is what are you noticing and what are you not noticing? Ah, well, that's hard. How do I do that? Well. What you notice and how you perceive what you notice affects the kinds of feelings that you have. Of pleasantness, happiness, enjoyment versus unpleasantness, unhappiness. So this is what you can go by. So you check in and say, okay, how am I feeling? What am I paying attention to? How am I perceiving what I'm paying attention to? Okay. And if I was in a joyful state of mind, I'd be feeling happy because 
feelings, uh, because pleasant feelings would be arising out of my perceptions of the things that I'm paying attention to. And if I was really, really joyful, I'd be really, really happy, because there'd be a lot of enjoyment arising out of these really positive perceptions that I have, out of these really wonderful, beautiful things that I'm noticing. So practice mindfulness and just say, what am I noticing? What am I not noticing? When you catch yourself in a thought process about something that's producing feelings, how am I perceiving this? And just keep in mind, if it's making you feel uncomfortable or unhappy or agitated or disappointed or any kind of negative feelings, then you're probably not perceiving it in the best way that you could. And there may be a whole lot of other things that you could attend to better than that. So practice things. Practice practice acting as though you were in a state of joy. In your bodily sensations right now, uh, you've been sitting a long time, so this is a good time. Okay. So, are your, are your feet comfortable? Are your ankles comfortable? Are your knees comfortable? Is your back comfortable? Is your neck comfortable? Is your shoulder? Or are there some aches? There are. Okay. Good. So, all right. Now, you could dwell on these aches and say, yeah, 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 this is good. Now just shut up and let me stand up and stretch. <laughs> Bear with me for a moment. Have a look at those uncomfortable feelings. Is that the only thing that you're experiencing? Are there some pleasant feelings in your body? So, but it might be hard to, you know, yeah, there's these pleasant feelings, but my back is so sore from sitting here. So it's true, you, you, there's some unpleasantness in some of these sensations, but there's one story of a, a meditation teacher from IMS who was dying of cancer, and people sat with her you know, during her last days, and she slept a lot she'd wake up and she was in a lot of pain and they asked her about the pain and she said, you know, as long as I feel pain, I know I'm alive and actually it makes me happy. (laughs) So, there is a positive side to everything. I mean, you are, even if your back aches, you're alive. And not only that, your back's not going to ache forever, is it? I am going to shut up and let you stretch. (laughs) And there is a lot, there is a lot to be happy about. There's a lot to feel pleasant about. Uh, You know, I can tune into it right now. I look at your beautiful, smiling faces, and there's a lot to be happy in. 
in that, being able to see that. And, you know, no matter how other parts of my body may feel, the air on my skin really does feel good. Mm-hmm. Does it for you? Yes. It's just, you know, it's, it's just warm enough that when that fan goes around and the air moves, that it's really quite wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's very good. And your mind, what is the state of your mind? Is there mental pleasantness? Is there happiness there? Your mind is a complex thing. There's probably some of both. There's some unhappiness with this and some happiness with that. It's all a question of what you pay attention to. And you can choose to seek out and pay attention to what is positive. So let's do this until about one o'clock and then you can come back and you can tell me how you feel. See, see how much joy you can generate just by acting as if you're already in a state of joy. Noticing the good, the beautiful, the positive, perceiving it, or the good, the beautiful, and the wholesome, perceiving it in the most positive way that you can, and allowing feelings of pleasantness to arise up, and holding those feelings of pleasantness, of happiness, of enjoyment.